I'm Marianne Kolbesek-McGee, Managing Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with John Houston, VP of Privacy and Information Security at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, a health system in Pittsburgh. John is responsible for privacy, information security, and legal matters associated with the acquisition, licensing, and use of technology. John will be describing some of UPMC's top privacy and security priorities and initiatives for 2014. Hi, John. How are you, Marianne? Good. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Now, what's on UPMC's privacy and security agenda for 2014, and what are some of your key priorities? Well, I think we're all trying to learn from the target experience, and so we're really trying to spend a lot of time and effort focusing on target type of risks that maybe we hadn't thought about in the past, and how do we manage those risks within a healthcare environment. So, based on that, what sorts of initiatives do you have underway? Well, specifically with relation to the, the, the target breach, uh, we've actually decided to go down the path of engaging a, a third party to help us actually monitor uh, the Internet, monitor for activity that might be related to UPMC, watch some of the, the dark web, uh, some of what's maybe going on in the hacker communities to see if our name's coming up. Uh, in, in relation to maybe things that are being planned or information that's been stolen and is being resold. Just so, you know, hopefully we can catch it on the front end, uh, catch them talking about us before they actually try to execute something, but at the end of the day allow us to be able to either prevent it or respond more quickly if that type of a breach would occur. Has anything happened? Have you seen your name come up in there at all yet? Not yet, and, and, and I hope that it doesn't, in all candor. And I think, you know, if once every two or three years our name comes up, uh, the, the service will still be uh, we're well, we're, well worth its money. However, the reason why we do it is, is, is we just want to be sure, because when those types of things do occur, they're never good. And so I, I would much rather uh, spend the money and never see it, even a single uh, situation where our, our, our name is mentioned but uh, just want to be prepared. Now, I understand that UPMC is going to be honored here at HEMS by vendor fair warning for your work in patient privacy monitoring. And I know that you had an incident last year where an employee was terminated for snooping on UPMC patient records. Now, did that patient privacy monitoring software help you detect that breach or other incidents? What sort of advice do you have for other healthcare organizations when it comes to HIPAA breach prevention? The system did work. It alerted us on a number of occasions that this employee was doing things that, that she shouldn't have been doing. Was it perfect? No, but it gave us evidence of something that was going on. Uh, what we realized out of all this, though, is, is that part of using these types of tools is in ensuring that we're diligent in following up when we do get alerts. And in this particular case, uh, we could have been better at following up. And frankly, what we're doing now is is looking at better ways to respond when alerts are triggered. But I also say that the system, not only did it work well, it worked as intended. And it really, in my opinion, has cut down on the incidents where a, a staff member inappropriately looks at, at uh, information. And, and the way we're able to evidence that is that when we first implemented fair warning we and, and the alerting, we saw a fairly high level of alerting, you know, you know, suspected inappropriate access. And we were very aggressive about, you know, following up on those alerts and, uh, you know, confronting the employee. The alerting then really, frankly, dramatically declined. And I th 
that to me is evidence of the fact that the alerting works and employees you know, now that they know that we're watching frankly are saying hey listen I don't want to be that person that gets disciplined I don't want to be that person that maybe gets terminated uh, so I, I'm not willing maybe to go look up a record that in the past maybe I'd been willing to not thinking anybody was really watching me do that you're a member of the HIT Policy Committee's Privacy and Security Tiger Team. On the team's agenda for this year are issues involved with providing patient representatives, such as spouses, parents, adult children, with access to their loved ones' electronic medical information. Why is this a tricky topic, and what are the biggest privacy and security concerns that need to be figured out? It's an issue because on the surface it seems very simple. Fine, I'm going to, I'm a patient, I, I want my, my parents or my brother or sister, whomever, to have access to my record and I'll just give them access. And But unfortunately, there's a lot of different contexts in which that person may need to have access. Uh, it might be because they're helping me schedule appointments or they're a caregiver that needs to understand what medications that I, I'm, I'm on or uh, maybe needs to help me make, uh, like I said, appointments, but you know, maybe help me refill my medications. They may not need to have access to the entire record. Maybe I only want them to have access to a part of the record. So most of the technology today really doesn't provide those that fine-grained restrictions on, on the record. You sort of, in many cases, it's all or nothing. And so it, as the patient... I may have concerns about giving that, that totality, that access to somebody when I only really need them to do one thing on my behalf. So that's part of, uh, of the issue. The other part of the issue is when we're dealing with, with minors and adolescents, and they have certain rights. Uh, in the state of Pennsylvania, a minor has the right to, an adolescent I should say, by the age of 14, has the right to be able to seek psychiatric services without parental consent other types of reproductive services or sexual, you know, services related to sexually transmitted diseases, they're allowed to seek on their own. So because they're allowed to, to seek those services on their own, the corollary is, is that they're, they're, they have a right to privacy in that regard, and their parents don't have the right to see that information. So when that child becomes an adolescent, we have to figure out a way to either restrict access to that portion of the, the, of the child's record that the, the parent is entitled to have access to, or we better have a process in place to shut down access in its entirety. But trying to figure out what should or shouldn't, that the parent should or shouldn't be entitled to have access to is difficult. And that's also compounded by the fact that not all information is necessarily structured, and not all information is necessarily flagged as being sensitive. Um, because so many services are provided potentially within different settings of care, such as in a PCP's office. It's not always clear that something is related to psychiatric services or, or, or otherwise. So trying to understand in every context when information is, is information that needs to be segregated becomes a difficult problem. Not, and by the way, it's not just with, with respect to the adolescents, but it's, it's also with respect to the adults. And the best example of that is, is I, you know, I go to my PCP because I'm depressed. Uh, I don't necessarily want uh, somebody who has proxy access to my record to, to, to see that part of a record that I'm I'm on a medication for depression. It's not, it's, but it's not a, a sensitive encounter because it didn't take place in a psychiatrist's office. It took place in my PCP's office. So how do I, how do I segregate that record and that's those psychiatric services when they weren't actually delivered in a in a psychiatric setting? If that makes sense. UPMC and Oracle last year launched an identity management venture, Cloud Connect Health IT. How is that effort going? And how do the ID management challenges that the healthcare sector faces differ from the ID management issues in other sectors? 
it's going well. We knew it was going to take some time to start up. It's been a year since we launched it, and we're really starting to get traction in the market because, frankly, a, a lot of providers are starting to realize identity management is something that they need to do. It was clearly a topic that, when the first round of the random OCR audits occurred, it was a topic that came up as being an issue. OCR was on their top list of top five issues that they identified was the fact that there weren't adequate controls over user accounts. So we recognize the fact that there are a lot of people now interested in identity management. And as I said, we're starting to really get a lot of interest from, from providers in, in our solution. How our solution differs from identity management outside of healthcare is, is simply the fact that there is a lot of process in, 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 that is specific to healthcare. You know, some of the, the need-to-know principles and, and role-based access principles are things that are fairly unique to healthcare, and um, we understand that. We have a lot of experience with healthcare identity management, so we do understand the nuances of healthcare. We also understand uh, the application vendors out there. We know all the big players and have worked with them, and so when we're creating those links between those systems and our identity management pool, we, we know how to create them. We've had experience working with them in the past and know the, the, the way those systems work and the type of information that needs to be passed. So I, I think, again, that's just a, you know, a non-healthcare related identity management tool. Yeah, will it work in healthcare? Absolutely. But it takes a lot of trial and error then to get it to work, in my opinion. Now, UPMC offers healthcare services internationally, including organ transplants in Italy, cancer care in Ireland, and telemedicine services to patients in Afghanistan. What sorts of challenges does that present you as a health information privacy and security leader? Well, I think the biggest challenge is that we're dealing with a whole different set of laws in each, in each uh, location. You know, we have to deal with the EU privacy laws, and those are clearly very rigorous. And uh, you know, so every place that we go to, we need to assess um, what type of laws we're dealing with, and make need to make a conscious decision of, of how do we manage that information, and do we allow it to cross borders, or do we feel we need to keep it within the, the borders of the country where we're at? You have to use a lot of forethought as to how you want to manage the information, and you want to look at the laws in order to ensure that we're not going to do something that violates those laws. Um, but every case is, is each situation is different. You know, the, the laws in Italy are going to differ from the laws in a Middle East country or a Far East Asian country. So we have to we have to do our homework in each case. Now, looking ahead, what do you think are the biggest emerging cybersecurity threats facing the healthcare sector? Well, it goes back to what. We talked about at the beginning of the interview, which is the, the target-like attacks. Most hackers are economically motivated, in my opinion. And when you look at the type of information that we handle in, in healthcare, it's the same type of information that can be used then to to steal somebody's identity. You know, since obviously payments a big part of what has to occur within healthcare space, and people have to have, do things like copays, and they'll provide their credit card to us. You know, it's we have to worry about things as direct as credit card theft. But again, the, the more general identity theft is also one which is 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 clearly of, of, of great concern of ours, and one where we're really focused on. Thanks, John. I've been speaking to John Houston from UPMC. I'm Marian Kolbasek McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.